All right, good morning, everyone. If you can make your way to your seats. For those of you who have been with us for a while, we are continuing our series in the book of Romans, and this morning, uh, we are going to have Jack Kaler come and read. He's going to read to us from chapter 12, verses 9 to 21. For those of you who are our guests, my name is Vince. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to extend you a warm welcome as well. Uh, we're just so glad that on Sunday mornings, we can gather together as God's people, and we love it when he brings other people to come and join us in that. So, Jack, thanks for reading for us this morning. Let your love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no, no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably, peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge our, yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Father, we know that you speak to us in words that we can understand, and you have given us your word in the Bible, a word that's breathed out by you, and it's profitable for us. And we pray today that as we hear this word and as I talk about your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be here to guide our hearts and minds, to open our ears, to give us understanding of the things that you want us to hear. For there are incredibly important things in your word that we just heard that we need to apply to our lives so that we can be the people that you want us to be, a people who love one another and the people who display your love to a watching world, even when people don't love us back. And so we pray that you would give us grace now in our time together. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you heard Jack read, you realize this section of Scripture, verses 9 to 21, it's sort of a rapid-fire, abrupt-style with sort of a loose structure to it. Like a lot of times when Paul writes, there's a real logical argument that he goes through. But that's not the case in this particular section of Scripture. It's just bop, 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 bop. It just keeps going with all these things that are truthful and good to know. 
But one of the things that ties it all together is this concept of love. The, the love that God has shown to us that we are now to reflect to others. And this letter was written to a church in Rome, a real place, and a real church. And they had real needs and real issues. And sometimes Paul writes letters that are very specific to the needs of a church. In this particular letter, it's more broad, isn't it? Anybody could hear these verses that Jack just read and say, you know, there's something in this for me. And that was Paul's intention in the way that he wrote it. So there's general application, but there's also specific application for people like you and me as we hear these words. So you might ask yourself, well, how do you interpret and how do you know what to apply when you hear something that's just so full of truth? It's like, well, how do I pick out what, what's for me? Well, one way to do that is to look at this passage and as you're reading through chapter 10, chapter 11, chapter 12, read through it and then skip the part that's here. Sometimes that's a really helpful thing to look back and say, hey, what would I miss if this wasn't in the Bible? Sometimes God can reveal things to you that way. Sometimes, in the way that I've taken it in this particular instance is, I went back to look to see how is God's love described in the rest of the letter that sets the table for what's happening now in this section of Scripture, and then to look beyond to say, well, what else is talked about in Romans about love after this? So that I could try to locate what was unique What was special about what Paul was trying to say about this concept of love? So I went back to Romans chapter 1 verse 7. In the very introduction to the letter, it says, To all those in Rome who are loved by God. Okay, so at the very beginning of the letter, we are loved by God and called to be saints. So not only are we loved by God, but now we're set apart by God. That's what saint is all about. Well, how are we set apart? How does this actually happen? How does God's love actually show up in our lives? Well, I looked at Romans 5.8, and it says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, this is getting deeper now. Okay, there's, there's a thread in the book of Romans. Okay, we're, we're loved by God, and God shows his love by having Christ die for our sins. And this is the good news This is the best news. If I don't say anything else here today, I hope you will leave with this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't come and save the people who had already cleaned themselves up. Jesus came and saved the people whose lives were a mess. People who, as Mark said, were in bondage to sin. No, this is the great news that Jesus came in our weakness, not in our strength. And he died as a demonstration of this great love that God has for us. And this is the central theme and the main focal point in the book of Romans, that his death on our behalf changes everything about us. It changes how we view the world. It changes how we view ourselves. It changes our relationships. The love of Christ that now is in our hearts is the transforming grace of God. That's why we have the series title, Transforming Grace, because this is the focal point. And for people who repent and put their faith in Jesus, we are now reconciled to God. A God who we were once an enemy with and resisting, as Carter said, well now, not only are we friends, but he adopts us into his family. And not only that, but everybody else who repents and turns from their sins, they become our brothers and sisters. And so throughout the Bible, you hear all this language about family. 
brothers, sisters, beloved. It's the people of God. And they share their lives together as Christ dwells within each of us. He dwells within all of us too. And so there's a, an individual part, but there's also a community part. And that's what churches are. Gathering together the people of God in one place to worship God and to love one another. And this really changes everything about who we are. There's a little slide, a little picture. I like to draw pictures. I, I, I learn by looking at stuff. Now, where was the applause for the artwork? You know, I was like, hey, come on now. I mean, those are some killer stick figures, I must say. But Romans 6, 4, as I went on this journey about Romans and about love, it says, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. And we just saw baptism. In order that, see, the story doesn't stop just when the sins are washed away. There's more that God has in store. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Okay, now the interpretive key is starting to come into Romans chapter 12. I'm supposed to have a new life. And so Paul, in his kindness, is explaining what love is actually supposed to look like for people who have new life or newness of life. This union with Christ that I have, this new relationship, now produces something in me. It gives me a new way to live, and it transforms my old way of living into a new way. I now live for Christ, but I'm also to live like Christ. And so Romans 12, 9 to 21 that we read just a moment ago, Paul is making an appeal to the church community, a community just like ours. They are to genuinely love each other inside the church, and they're also supposed to love people outside the church. And this love is to include people who love us back, but also people who are hard to love, including our enemies. It's very specific about that. And so Paul's purpose, he's trying to exhort them not just to describe something. He's not just saying, well, here's a list of things about love, and I hope you get it and hope everything goes okay. No, he actually wants them to hear this, grapple with it, and then apply it in their lives. And that's what I believe God wants for us here today as well. You see, the love that they have experienced, which is the, the basis of their salvation it's also then to translate into being the expectation for how we are to live. As we receive the love of God, we are to give the love of God. And this is what's transforming. So I just have two very simple points, and they build one on the other. The first point today is growing in our love. And the second point is loving hard people. But this first point, and you've got a little stick figure there again. I told you I really like to draw. That's how I think about these things. I thought it might be helpful to kind of illustrate what is, what's actually being built here in what Paul is saying. This newness of life, this, this change of direction. See, when we don't have Christ in our lives, we're, we're going away from God. But when Christ invades our lives, there's a change. There's a turning. And we don't just turn indiscriminately. We turn towards God and we start to walk in a new way. This is the newness of of life, a change in direction, and it's also a change in our motivation. It's why we do what we do. We no longer live for ourselves, but we live for him who died for us. We live our lives to please him. And so in this little illustration, how it helped me to understand, I realized, okay, I'm walking on a new journey, but as I start to, to grow in learning how to love the way that God wants me to love, I realize this is going to be a process. Why? 
Because prior to coming to faith in Christ, I was an expert at how to love myself. It's not a mistake why Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor, how? As yourself. See, it's already presupposed that you know how to love yourself, and I spent 25 years perfecting the art of loving me. Everything was about me. I was the center of my own universe. You were just bit little players in it. I was the focal point. But when Christ invades your heart, it's a radical transformation. All of a sudden now, Christ is at the center, and I'm the bit player. An important player, because God saved me and called me into his family, not to minimize that. But my orientation is totally different. It's to God and to others. This is what we are called to. And so we start to walk in this new direction. But then as I start to learn how to love other people, I realize it really came in stages, and it continues to come in stages. You know, first, as we learn how to walk, we, we learn how to love those who love us back, don't we? You just think of grandma, right? Grandma loves you. Grandma loves to give you good gifts, and she makes special things for you when you come home. You know, it's not hard to love grandma, is it? Right? But not everybody in life is like grandma, are they? And so sometimes you have to have a little step, and that's what that first little bump there is. Like, you start to realize that, you know, people are different, and not everybody loves me with this just unbridled love like grandma might love you. And so we have to step up, and we have to press in a little bit. We have to learn how to listen and how to watch and how to understand other people and how to realize how our personality might interact with their personality because we're not all the same. And so we learn how to do that a little bit. Okay, that's good. Those are our friends, and we start to learn how to love one another. And then we have multiple people. So there's lots of little bumps. We don't just learn how to love one at a time. We start to learn people, to love people at school and work and uh, in our homes and in our communities. And so this process starts to go on, but, you know, we're doing pretty good. And then you start to realize that, you know, people can really disappoint us sometimes. And those are the hurdles. Those are those first three little things going up. Every one of us has people in our lives that are a little bit harder to love, don't we? Maybe they're just... They just talk too much. Or maybe they just, they say stuff, but it just doesn't make any sense, and it just drives you crazy, and you're like, oh, my gosh, can we just move on? But you're called to love them, okay? And so all of us have these people in our lives that are a little bit harder to love. And and as we start to learn how to love these people, we realize, you know, I can't just do this on my own. I need God's help. This is where our union with Christ, God being in us and us being in him, is so important because you're not going to be able to just do this on your own. Jesus said in John 15, 5, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And that includes loving people. So you're going to need God's help as you start to interact with these people. And you've got the sort of the low hurdles and the intermediate hurdles. And then you've got the high hurdles. Maybe it's people whose backgrounds are not like yours, and you just have a hard time understanding them, or maybe they have a a different value system on some things, and you just really uh, are disappointed in how you relate with them, and it's hard. It's hard to understand them. And then finally, you get to these people, and those are the higher bars. Those are are people you have to do the high jump, okay? Guys all know what the high jump is. They set up a big bar, and you run, and then you just jump over it. Pole vault, we'll get to that in a minute. That's with the pole, all right? But right now, we're just talking about the high jump, Okay? Sometimes you need a running start. 
sometimes you need some you need some speed, you need some energy because some people the way that they relate to you is really difficult. Sometimes they're annoying. Sometimes it might just be they're just a, a rabid Dallas Cowboys fan. I'm sorry, Carlos. I just could not resist. But seriously, like stuff happens and they just, all they ever talk about this and you're like, oh my gosh, this person's around me and they want to be around and blah, blah, blah. And it gets hard. Or maybe a little closer to home here in the D.C. area, maybe they like to talk about politics all the time. And either one, you don't like to talk about politics or two, maybe they come from a very different perspective than you do. How are we going to love those people? How are we going to find the common ground in the gospel to be able to love and to care for them? So there are people that are harder and harder to love. And the Christian life, though, it moves forward. We're to accumulate and build up the skills necessary to be able to love all these different people that God places in our lives. And I think that's what Paul was getting to when he speaks here in this passage. And I'm just going to give you five brief takeaways as we seek to grow in love with the people that God has placed around us. And the way I set this message up is I'm going to give you sort of the baseline here. And then the second point is going to say, how do we actually love the really hard people? The really, really hard people. People who are your enemies. People who hate you. People who persecute you. So let me just give you five takeaways on the growing in love section. The first one is you need to be aware. If you're have your Bible open or turned on. If you look at verse 9 and verse 21, you see that there are some bookends here about good and evil. Because there is good and there is evil in the world. It's not like everything's just morally neutral. Verse 9 says, Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Verse 21 says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so there's sort of a backdrop to what he's talking about with regards to loving other people. And it's a good reminder, isn't it? To be reminded that, yes, we live in a broken world, but we also have an enemy out there that wants us to not love. Satan does not want us to show the love of Christ. Satan wants us to hate each other, to be divisive, to tear each other apart, and to really have no thought or care for one another because for him, that would just be a heyday. It would be great. I get to tear down the kingdom of God. And he's active. He lies to us. He tells us things in our ears about other people, things that cause us to judge them uncharitably. And so there is a war going on between good and evil, and there are participants in that war. And so we need to be aware. We need to be aware that we struggle in a spiritual battle, and not only from the outside, but we also struggle with the battle that's on the inside. That even though Christ has come and redeemed our lives, there is still indwelling sin. We saw that in chapter 7. We struggle against the sin when we know the good we ought to do, but we just don't do it. And so his encouragement is found in verse 11. He says, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. So as we engage and become aware of this spiritual battle between good and evil, he wants us to be zealous for the good. He wants us to be fervent in spirit. And in the way that it was originally written, it almost says to be on fire with the spirit. In other words, be so aware of what God in Christ has done for you that it just propels you into a life of love towards others. And as you do this, you no longer serve yourself, but you serve the Lord. Second, he tells them to be real. Be real in the love that they have for one another. Be real 
with the love that you have because it's who you are in Christ. Look at verse 9. It says, let love be genuine. It means sincere, without hypocrisy, no hidden agendas. We all know what it's like to interact with somebody who's sort of fake, isn't it? You know, and they just, it's really hard. They, they, they've got that smile on their face and they're saying all the right things. But you know inside there's something else motivating them. I pull away from people like that. Hypocrisy, being fake. But you know what I move towards? People who are genuine. They don't have to be perfect, but if they're genuine and sincere, see, that's like a magnet that draws people and attracts people. And that's what Paul is saying here. Be real. Let our love be genuine. His encouragement then is to rejoice in hope. This is verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Be who you are before God in prayer. Engage with God. Let him change your heart. And as you do, this leads to the third point. It says it'll help you to be others-minded. You see, with these renewed minds that we have from Romans 12, 1 and 2, we are to love God, and we are to love our neighbor now and not ourselves. And so three times in this section, he tells them to, to love one another. In verse 10, he says, love one another with brotherly affection. Then it says, outdo one another in showing honor. And then finally in verse 16, he says, live in harmony with one another. You see, living out our loving relationships in the context of community is really important. It's kind of the glue that keeps us all together. Christ dwelling in us and us loving one another. And so we're to be others-minded. Fourth, be active. This isn't supposed to be a passive kind of love. We're not supposed to wait on the sidelines in order to love other people. Love is something that we do. Verse 13, we contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. It doesn't say and just sit back and if somebody asks you to show it, show it. It says seek it. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. What's that a picture of? It's a picture of people who are looking outside of themselves to the needs of others and saying, what can I do to be a blessing to them? I have been so blessed by God. God has redeemed my life and transformed the way that I live and the way I've been cared for by God. How in the kindness and goodness of God, can I extend that to other people? This is an active kind of love. And friends, we need to be on the lookout for one another, eager to help one another, taking initiative in each other's lives. Look, we all know life can be really hard. And we all need those people who are watching our backs, who are carrying our burdens with us. And, and truly, it's one of the greatest joys that I have in being part of this church. It's to see how you love one another. And church, I just want to commend you. You do a great job of this. Look at these two baptism testimonies that we just had. Both of these people stood up here and said, you know, part of my journey of faith is you. You loved me. You greeted me. You remembered my name. You followed up with me. I had a conversation with a campus ministry leader the other day. He was just commending our church. And I said, well, what... What do you have to commend? He goes, well, all the kids that I know that, that go to your church now, they all keep telling me about how everybody keeps greeting them. And not only one time, but then the next week they remember their names. And they remember their majors. And they ask them how they're doing. And they ask how they can be prayed for. Friends, this is active love. And this is what we are called to do in increasing measures. 
And then finally, be humble. You know, the church is filled with people who are not like you. People who might be hard to get along with. Maybe because of your personality, maybe because of theirs. It might be also that people have needs that you can fulfill for them. The temptation for all of us, I think, in many ways, or in the context of a group, is to hang out with the people who are like you, right? Or we hang out with the people who we think can help us. But the gospel teaches us to live in an upside-down kingdom. We don't hang out with the people that we can get stuff from. We hang out with the people that we can give stuff to. We can share our love with them. We can share our material blessings with them. We can look out for their interests above our own. This is what Paul is talking about here. This is what he's calling the church to be. This is what he's calling this church to be. Humble. Seeking to care for one another. In verse 3, he says, By the grace given to me, and this is earlier from uh, last week, he says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So when we come into church, how are we thinking about belonging to a community? And then in verse 16, he says, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. And so there's this beautiful picture, isn't there? Be aware, be real, be others-minded, be active, be humble. Friends, this should be just the normal day-in and day-out DNA in our own lives, in our homes, and certainly amongst the people of God. And so it's a very inspiring passage here. It's like, wow, this is something to really sink our teeth into. This is something that we can live by. Because I'll tell you what, you live in a community that does these things, it's going to be transformative. People's lives are going to change. Why? Because as Dawn said during this time coming up to the ministry mic, she's hanging out with all these people out in the world who don't know Jesus. And guess what? Their lives are filled with pain and misery and sadness and lostness. And you and I have the truth of the gospel that sets people free. We have the truth that brings them joy, unending joy. We have the words of truth that bring hope to a lost and dying world. And the delivery method for this truth is love. That's how we serve it up. Not judgmentalism, not wagging a finger at people. We come alongside people and we think about their interests and we take initiative into their lives and we bless them and we encourage them. So that's the easy part of this message. Second part's a little bit harder. We're called to be a people and a church that increasingly looks like Christ in the way that we love others. But as I said, the hard part is, what about the people who don't love us back? How about the people in your life that are mean to you, unkind, quote-unquote, out to get you? This might be somebody at the lab that you work in. It might be somebody who's a boss. It might be a coworker. It might be a sweet mate. It might be your housemates. It could be somebody in your home. It could be a spouse or a child. You know, you live long enough and you realize that, wow, we can really rub each other the wrong way. Some people can really have it out for us. And sometimes we don't even rub into them. They just have it out for us and we didn't even do anything. And the reality is that's where we live. And yet Paul says, hey, you know, I want you to do all these one another's and, hey, let's be a great church. And that's wonderful. But, but I got to address a really hard spot here. And that is you're also going to have to love those people 
who are really hard to love. Now, I feel like my whole Christian life has been a gradual process of learning how to do this. And I have gone back to this section of Scripture a gazillion times because here's the deal. I don't like to love people who are not loving to me. Point blank. No surprise. If you're nice to me and you love me, I will love you back. Usually. (laughs) Everybody's got some caveats. But I can guarantee you, I, I have like an immediate avoidance to meanness. If you're mean to me, I, I, I'm just going to recoil. And I got all kinds of issues from how I think about growing up and all kinds of things that are relevant. But it's the way I'm wired. And I recoil at being treated not nicely. When people are rude to me or shove something in my face and try to put me down, I just, like stuff just boils up inside of me. And I have to deal with that. And so I go to these verses to try to apply these things to myself. And also, as a pastor for the last 22 years, I've met with a lot of people who struggle with having people being not nice to them too. And guess where I go? Right here. This is one of my favorite sections to go because, one, it speaks truth to my heart. And two, it gives me hope. Because I can see how me loving people who don't love me back fits into God's economy. So let me walk through this. The picture up here, now this is the pole vault. So the high jump is when you just run and then you jump over. Pole vault, you get a little bit longer running start, but you also have a pole to go with you because it's just so high, there's no way you're ever going to be able to humanly do it on your own. But I didn't know how to draw the guy running with the pole so well, so I just, he doesn't have a pole. But let's just pretend, okay? Okay. But think about the people that that are hard to love in your life. Maybe it's people who've spoken poorly about you to your face, called you a liar, called you all kinds of nasty things, cussed at you. Or maybe they talk bad about you to other people, and you hear about this from a lot of people, and you realize, man, I'm getting trashed here. Maybe they're mean. Maybe they're abusive. Maybe they're trying to sabotage your career because they want to get your position or move you out of the way. They can be rude, unkind. I mean, fill in the blank, right? We all have these people. And I want you to think about the one or two people that immediately come to your mind as I go through these takeaways in just a moment. Because God doesn't want us just to be hearers of the word. He actually wants us to take this word and by the grace of God apply it in our lives. So think about one or two people who you have a hard time loving. Because I'm sure you've gone through a million times in your head saying, why are they doing this to me? What did I ever do to them? It is so frustrating to have people being not nice to you. Especially if you look back and go, I really didn't do much to deserve this, if anything. It's a little more complicated when you know that you did some stuff and they're reacting to you. But this all applies. Some of the reasons that I thought about were sometimes they're just self-righteous towards me. They think they can read my mind. They think they know all of my thoughts. And they've judged me uncharitably. And now they're just being mean to me. Or maybe it's somebody who's been really hurt. And they just happen to be lashing out at me. You see, the reasons why people are angry at us vary quite a bit. It's not just one size fits all. Lots of different reasons why people might be angry towards you or hurtful towards you. 
Sometimes they're not very self-aware. They might not even realize that they're being as hurtful to you as they are. We all have blind spots, don't we? Some people struggle just with anger. They just get angry at everybody, and it comes out, and they lash out at people. Sometimes it's a simple misunderstanding that just mushrooms, and it just grows, and other people get involved. They start gossiping, and, and all of a sudden, what was a little problem now becomes a huge problem. But here's the thing that you have to remember about the people who you're called to love, and that is that they are broken people just like you are. That's one of the hardest lessons to learn in all this is that in the moment when I feel unjustly treated, mistreated, reviled, being sinned against, everything inside of me says, I'm not like them. And by God's grace, in some ways I'm not. But I can't forget that in some ways I am like them. You see, if they're a broken person, what's the antidote to their problem? Same antidote it was for me and my brokenness, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so no matter how they're coming at you, they're also somebody who's lost. So they're not just your enemy, but they're also somebody who's lost. And that's what Paul wants us to understand and realize in the midst of our conflicts with other people is that God has a bigger agenda than just how you feel in that moment. And not to minimize how you feel. I'll tell you, I, I really, I struggle especially when people don't like me for a long time. And I'm thinking of things where, you know, five years, seven years, 10 years, 15 years. And you just go, is this ever going to end? And the reality is it might not end in this lifetime. But that does not stop us from being able to love them in the way that God prescribes. So let me give you five brief takeaways here. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. He's talking about where you're at with God in this. So you're not going to necessarily give the blessing and you're not going to necessarily give the curse. He's basically saying that cursing is asking God to bring disaster on that person. But when we ask God to bless, well, that's a redemptive disposition. That lost person who's angry at you and being mean to you needs a savior. And our heart's disposition, because we've been saved by grace, is to pray that God would have mercy on them in the same way that he's had mercy on us. And so we're to bless those who persecute us. Bless and not curse them. And so that's a heart issue. Second, do what is honorable. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. You see, when you respond to people who are angry at you, usually it's not just in private. Usually there are people watching or there are people who hear about what happened. And so our actions have a witness. And if we say we've received this great love of God, but then we go out and we hate other people, it creates a disconnect and a hypocrisy in the love that we profess that we have. God says, no, you can't have that. You need to do what's honorable. It says give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Not just your friends, not just the people that agree with you in the conflict, but in everybody who's watching. Third, let God be the judge. He says in verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. 
And I need to put a caveat here. I realize that some of the ways that people persecute and are enemies and show hatred is in forms of abuse. What's not being said here is, oh, just leave it to God and it's just, just forget about it. No, these are very serious things. It's so serious and it's not a surprise that in the next section of Scripture, chapter 13, he goes right into the whole aspect of the authorities are there to judge good and evil. And so if people are abusing you, you are not to allow that to continue on. And if they're breaking the law, they should be reported. I mean, so, so he's not saying that. What he's talking about here in this section is to not take matters into our own hands. Leave it to the authorities if need be, or leave it to God if it's something that's not a crime, but leave it to God. Let God be this broken person's judge, not you. It's God that they're going to have to deal with. And so we entrust these things to the Lord, and we leave room for God to work. You see, if we're taking revenge, we're taking God's job. God did not ordain us to be the judges at this point. Now, inside the church, we judge behavior, but I mean this type of judging, when somebody's sinning against you in this way. Because if we become the judges, we will always get it wrong. We will not be the righteous judges that we might think we would be. Fourth, we should have mercy. We live in an upside-down kingdom. He says in verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And he's quoting from Proverbs 25, 21 to 22. So it tells us what to do and why. And the what to do is clear. Have mercy. They need something to drink. Give them something to drink. They need something to eat. Give them something to eat. You see that they have a need? Take a step of faith and go and serve them. You don't have to draw attention to yourself. The why is not so clear. It says, and it will heap burning coals on their head. And we know it doesn't mean do this so that it will hurt them because that would make the whole thing not have sense. But it probably refers to the fact that if you just keep loving them, perhaps God will lead them to repentance. Perhaps God will change their heart through the way that you graciously interact with them. And friends, we can only do this if we really live in view of God's mercy, right? This is the deeper end of the pool, isn't it? The first point, hey, we can keep working on that. That's, that's kind of the fun stuff. This is really hard. And I would encourage you, if you've got difficult relationships in your life, if you're struggling, I want to encourage you, get help from others. Get help from other mature believers. Get help from a mature counselor. Get help from somebody because, uh, and I shared this thing the other day, bitterness is just a terrible thing. Anger, bitterness, when we hold on to it, this one author says, it's like making a concoction of poison and drinking it and expecting the other person to die. And that's what happens. And God loves us enough to where he doesn't want us to be perishing as well. Don't drink the poison. Overcome evil with good is what it says. And that's how we approach loving our enemies. This is how we go into the world. We give what we've received, and that is the amazing love of Christ. And if we do this, the evil will not overtake us. I love what Carter said in his testimony. He said, that this church has been a vessel of God's love. 
and that we should be vessels of God's love to the world. What a beautiful picture here in Romans 12, 9 to 21. Not only of the love that we can have for one another, a love that first we have received, but a transforming love that's so powerful, so impactful, that with the Spirit of God's help, we can actually extend it to those who actually don't even love us back and are harmful to us. Friends, this is a miracle, even talking about this. This is amazing grace. And yet, the good news is, this is what you and I have in Christ. This is our story. And this is what we're called to live out in a way that's pleasing to God. So would you please stand and with the band, please come back and let me close this in prayer. Well, Father, we thank you for this time that we can be together. We thank you for the way that your word goes out. And it never returns void. It always does something. And I pray specifically for those who are struggling with hard relationships, people who've been in abusive relationships and hurt by others, I pray, Father, that you would extend extra mercy to them today, that you would bind up the brokenhearted, that you would heal them with your love so that over time they would be able to learn how to love others with the love that they've received from you because we know that this love is a transforming love, a transforming love in the way that we experience you but also a transforming love in the way that we care for one another and interact with the world that you've given to us to live in. And so we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.